A quick heads up, this episode includes descriptions of pregnancy loss. There will also be some explicit language. Please be advised. It's the summer of 1949 in Los Angeles, California, and Lucille Ball is striding down the hall of CBS Studios. She's wearing a boiled wool suit and stilettos that tell the world she's all business. But inside, her heart is racing. Lucy's about to walk into a meeting that won't just determine the future of her career, but her marriage too. Lucky for Lucy, she's a pro at pretending to be confident. After all, she's a damn good actress. But when Lucy pushes open the door to the conference room, she realizes she doesn't need to pretend. The suits around the table stand up and give her a standing ovation. Her CBS radio show, My Favorite Husband, is a colossal hit. Hundreds of thousands of Americans tune in to hear Lucille Ball, the funniest woman on the airwaves, each week. CBS can see the potential, and now they want to cash in and adapt it into a TV show. It would mean a whole new level of exposure for Lucy. Now all Lucy has to do is convince the suits that the perfect person to play her favorite husband is her husband. Having Desi on set means keeping him close. He can't cheat while he's on her watch. So as far as Lucy is concerned, this is more than a business meeting. It's her only chance to save her marriage. Nothing says marital bliss like working together. Well, yeah, you bartended with me and Ross, you know. (laughs) And that's not all. There's a new development that makes this meeting even more urgent. Lucy is pregnant. Oh, okay. Now that's the actual answer to any and all (laughs) marital issues. Exactly. Yep. Lucy looks at the executives around the conference table. Right now, they're smiling at her. They see the world in dollar signs. And she's their new golden goose. They motion for her to sit. But Lucy shakes her head. Better to deliver this bomb standing up. Gentlemen, I've got just the man to play my co-star. He's handsome, he's charming, and he knows the part back to front. I think you all know Desi Arnaz. The smiles in the room vanish. Eyebrows go up. A top executive in horn-rimmed glasses mutters something under his breath. What's wrong with Desi? Lucy says. Mr. Horn-rimmed glasses says, and I quote, Who would believe a typical American redhead married to a Cuban band leader? When Lucy asks if her marriage isn't proof enough, he says something along the lines of, It's just not what people want to see. But Lucy holds her ground. No Desi, no Lucy. Then she turns on her heel and leaves. It's something that's become a pattern with her. She'll pitch a great idea, then leave a room full of men to deal with the fact that she's just smacked them over the head with her brilliance. Yeah, it's called leaving on a high note, and I obviously know it very well. Obviously. (laughs) Lucy's not about to let this stand. If the doors won't open for her and Desi, she'll kick them down. Because with a baby on the way, she really needs to make this marriage work. As Lucy walks off the CBS lot, her mission is clear. If the bigwigs don't believe in her and Desi, she'll have to make them. She'll have to prove that together, they have what it takes to make America open their hearts to an interracial couple. And she'll do it the way she's always dealt with obstacles in her way, by making them laugh. 
Can we talk about how cool it is that with Audible, you almost feel like you're watching a movie just by listening to the stories? Especially with Audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers. They feature captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances, so the story is really brought to life. I'm excited to listen to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. It's actually about a podcaster. (gasps) who meets this girl and this girl like tells her about her life and she's like you should feature me in your podcast but then the girl's life is like very strange oh my gosh so why has that not happened to us yet it will it's only a matter of time <laughs> but it sounds so good and juicy yeah and richie says an audible member you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog including best-selling audio titles and new releases in every genre New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500. That's audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500 to get started. So I'm a father of one. I got to find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away through the platform. I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your child care necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your child care needs. From Wondery, I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And this is Even the Rich. In our last episode, Lucy broke ties with the oppressive studio system and found her groove on the radio. But while her career was hitting a high, her marriage was on a downward spiral. Now, Lucy's family is growing, and she's determined to have her white picket fence dream. And she's going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. This is episode three, The Birth of Lucy Ricardo. It's a few days after Christmas in 1949, and Lucille Ball is lying in bed at Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Los Angeles. Desi is sitting by her side, holding her hand, and both their faces are puffy from crying. The night before, Lucy started bleeding, and at three months pregnant, she miscarried. Oh, no. Lucy and Desi had been so excited about the pregnancy. Desi has always loved children and couldn't wait to have one of his own. And Lucy's always wanted to be a mom. She was desperate to create the kind of stable, loving home life she hardly ever enjoyed. Starting a family with Desi was a dream come true. Lucy's even more devastated because of how hard she and Desi worked to get pregnant. At 38, she needed a little help. She and Desi did everything they could to increase their chances of conceiving. They turned to God, science, and special health regimens. Lucy was even tracking her fertility with a thermometer. One afternoon, Desi was in Hollywood rehearsing for a show. But when Lucy called and told him her temperature was up, good old Desi raced all the way back to Chatsworth and straight to the bedroom. It's hell of a foreplay. Mm Mm-hmm. It's exactly why losing the pregnancy is so heartbreaking for both of them. The only silver lining is that because of the miscarriage, her doctor found a closed fallopian tube he was able to mend. So the next time she gets pregnant, she'll have a much better shot at carrying to term. After her hospital stay, Lucy heads back to Desilu Ranch to recover. She's beyond depressed. She has no baby and no TV show. 
The two things she wants most in the world keep eluding her. It's starting to feel like the universe wants her to give up. One morning, while Lucy is in bed recuperating, Desi comes in carrying a giant sack. Inside are hundreds of letters. Desi nods at her to open one up. Lucy tears open an envelope and reads the letter aloud. Dear Lucy, we heard about your loss. Sending love and prayers. We love you so much, and we're here for you. She looks up at Desi, who hands her another. Lucy, I miscarried several years ago. I know the pain you're going through. Don't give up. There are hundreds more letters just like this. Lucy is overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and support. It's like her faceless audience has suddenly become a group of loving friends. She feels seen in her pain. So she takes the time to write back to each of the 2,867 letters she receives. Damn, I still haven't sent a thank you note to Nani for my Christmas (laughs) present. I never sent thank you notes after my wedding, and I never will. (laughs) When Lucy finally recovers, she feels renewed. Her fans love her, and they believe in her and Desi. She's determined to make CBS see that the world is ready to embrace them as a couple. And to do that, she's going to go back to her roots. It's June 2nd, 1950, at the Paramount Theater in Chicago. Lucy and Desi are at the start of a big vaudeville circuit tour. Lucille Ball bursts into the packed theater wearing a fedora, a baggy suit, and a rumpled tie. Desi, on the other hand, is in an elegant suit with his black hair slicked back. He's the very picture of the serious conductor as he leads his orchestra. Lucy barrels over to him and starts shouting, Are you Dizzy Arnazzi? Then she asks if she can play in his band. But Desi asks coldly if he can see her credentials. Desi's playing the straight man, and Lucy's the clown. And the audience is loving it. Lucy proceeds to play the cello really, really badly. Desi winces at the barely musical noise. She's running all over the place, banging on different instruments, honking horns, and hamming it up. And the audience is devouring it. For the finale, she flops on the ground and starts impersonating a seal. All of Lucy's antics are part of her master plan. If her and Desi's vaudeville act is a hit, it'll show CBS that the world really is ready to accept an interracial couple. So they're taking it very seriously. Lucy even worked with Buster Keaton to make sure her physical comedy was top-notch. And so far, so good, because everywhere they go, they bring the house down. Lucy and Desi plan to take the show on the road from New York to Miami. It's a grueling schedule with very little downtime between performances. And after a few weeks, the pace starts to take its toll on Lucy. She complains to Desi about being constantly exhausted. I mean, of course, she's impersonating a seal multiple times a week. (laughs) Yeah, not easy. The thing is, Lucy hardly ever complains, so Desi knows something's wrong. He makes Lucy see a doctor, where they find out she has a perfectly good reason for feeling under the weather. She's pregnant. Unfortunately, this is where things get really sad. Lucy and Desi are elated by the news. They end the vaudeville tour six weeks early to go back to Desi Lou Ranch in Chatsworth. 
But sadly, Lucy miscarries again. So many people might have given up at this point. Lucy is heartbroken, but she's also a fighter. And now that she's been through it once, she knows she can survive it again. Back at CBS Studios, it's the dawn of a new day. The top executives finally agree to let Lucy produce her show on her terms, with Desi as her leading man. The response to their vaudeville act was so overwhelming, the studio is forced to admit that the couple's dynamic is brandable. But Desi and Lucy want to make sure that they maintain control. So in 1950, they start their own company called Desi Lou Productions. It's a project that combines Lucy's creative instincts with Desi's business know-how and get-it-done attitude. Their first order of business is changing the show's title. They need something fresh. Radio is the past, and TV is the future. They don't want to be held back by a stale reputation. For a while, the working title of the show is just Lucy. But in the end, they decide on I Love Lucy. It immediately tells the audience what the show is all about. A marriage between two people who love each other. And you know the old saying, when it rains, it pours? Well, it's a flood of happiness in the Arnaz household. Lucy is pregnant again. Okay, I'm too scared to get excited. Yeah, so is Lucy. Her miscarriages are never far from her mind. There's a very real possibility that it might happen again. Giving birth is something that might not work out for her. But the doctor says she's perfectly healthy and everything looks good. So Lucy and Desi quietly celebrate. Lucy decides to take it really easy. She eases up on the physical comedy and takes lots of time to recover. But she refuses to go on bed rest. There's no time for it anyway. I Love Lucy is finally ready for primetime. And with that comes a whole host of last-minute complications. It's a few weeks later in Los Angeles, California. Desi and Lucy have just left a seriously disappointing meeting with the CBS executives. Their contracts are locked and their show is officially greenlit. But as they stand outside on the sidewalk, they're both looking dazed. There's one thing they didn't see in the contract that could legit blow up the whole deal. CBS is insisting they move to New York to shoot the show. In 1951, television was filmed live on the East Coast so it could air simultaneously across the country. Back then, shooting in Los Angeles would mean taping on something called kinescope, which makes the footage look terrible. Lucy and Desi are stunned. This is their first time working in television, so they had no idea. They feel kind of lost and a little stupid, to be honest. But Lucy's sure about one thing. She doesn't want to pick up her whole life and move. She's already made concessions to these suits. She's working while pregnant. And she especially doesn't want to be pregnant in New York City. Just thinking about living in the city again gives her a pit in her stomach. Back then, she was starving, living off ketchup soup, and it almost cost her her legs. Yeah, and everyone thought she was a talentless hack. I don't blame her. I know. But it's not just her past experiences. Lucy's present and future is in Los Angeles. She doesn't want to leave her home, and neither does Desi. They're dead set on raising a family in the home they've built at Desi Lou Ranch. 
Lucy sees a way to solve their problems, but it's going to take some hardball negotiations with CBS. And she knows Desi will have to be the one to do it. Lucy's sure he's the best person for the job. Before the Cuban Revolution, Desi was on track to become a lawyer. He's very good at making deals. When he was just starting his singing career in Miami, Desi negotiated a salary higher than his own boss. But Lucy also has another motive for wanting Desi to lead the negotiations. She's worried that he's insecure about being in her shadow. She's number one on the call sheet and the face of the show, which means it's only a matter of time before he feels like Mr. Lucille Ball again. The last time he felt that way, their marriage exploded. Their car definitely exploded. (laughs) It definitely did. Lucy needs to make Desi feel less like her backup dancer and more like the main attraction. She wants him to take center stage and shine as a producer. It helps that she knows he'd be great at it. Lucy cozies up next to Desi and tells him that she wants him to make the call to CBS, not her agent or her lawyer. Desi's cheated on her all over the country. He's broken her heart a million times over. But now, she needs him more than ever. It's time for Desi Arnaz to step up. Did you know that with the Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, you could be building your credit with on-time payments for your everyday purchases? There's no annual fee, interest, or credit check to get started. Complete your Credit Builder starter kit with Chime's checking account. With a qualifying direct deposit, Chime's checking account allows you to get paid up to two days early and overdraft up to $200 without fees using their Spot Me feature. Plus, I love that you can pay friends through Chime even if they're not Chime members. And when you receive money, you can cash it out fee-free. That's going to be helpful for group dinners for sure. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So start building your credit. Open a Chime checking account with at least a $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com slash rich. That's Chime.com slash rich. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and over-the-counter advance fees may apply. Call 1-844-244-6363 for details. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. For all the hiring Richies out there, are you still searching for a great candidate for your company? What if I told you that with Indeed, you could just match with one? Yep. Indeed leverages over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So you can match with the perfect candidate. And according to Indeed data, they receive over 350 million global monthly visitors and have an extended reach through Glassdoor. So you'll receive unparalleled access to job seekers. Indeed's matching engine combs through those visitors' resumes to help you find quality candidates fast. So fast that in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Listeners of Even the Rich will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash rich. Just go to Indeed.com slash rich right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash rich. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Desi's sitting in his office at Desilu Ranch, waiting for his call to New York to connect. When it does, he tells the executives at CBS that he's just had a revolutionary idea that could change the entertainment industry forever. 
Desi's definitely a bullshit artist. But right now, he's being completely sincere. He's figured out how to shoot a television show in Los Angeles and still get around that pesky kinescope problem. He wants to shoot I Love Lucy on 35mm film instead. On film, the broadcast will be crystal clear, everywhere. But the CBS execs aren't on board. Film's too expensive. And besides, film is for movies, not television. But Desi already anticipated this. To cover the higher cost, he makes them an offer they can't refuse. He and Lucy will take a significant pay cut. In return, all Desi asks is one teensy-weensy thing. Complete ownership of the show. The executives at CBS are like, you've got a deal. (laughs) They love the idea of getting their stars at a bargain price. All they're looking at is the bottom line, and Desi knows it. They're totally blinded by their short-term interests, and Desi's going to use that to his advantage. When Desi emerges from the office, he's practically strutting. He pulls Lucy in close and tells her to kiss him because he's just made all their dreams come true. They're staying in Los Angeles. And they're selling their ranch and moving into a one-bedroom closet since they took such a massive pay cut. Exactly. Lucy is thrilled, but she's also super stressed. She knows ownership of the show comes at a price. She feels like she's way out on a cliff. If this show doesn't work, it'll be the end of her career. She's worried Desi's taken things too far. If this gamble doesn't work out, then this might be a check she can't cash, creatively speaking. And then Lucy feels it, shooting pains deep in her abdomen. She knows she needs to get to a hospital as soon as possible. It's July 17, 1951, and Lucy's back in the hospital. But this time, she's in the maternity ward, and she's ecstatic to be there. Her perfectly healthy baby girl is in her arms. Just days before Lucy's 40th birthday, she gives birth to her daughter. It was a tough pregnancy. Lucy was in labor for so long, she eventually needed an emergency C-section. Now... Lucy is wrapped in bandages and aching from stitches. Mm. But she's still smiling because she's looking down into the sparkling hazel eyes of her daughter, her beautiful, perfect, miracle daughter, whose name is Lucy. Mm. Missed opportunity for Lucille, too, but I'll take mm. it. Or Lucy Toosie. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, to be fair, the name is Desi's doing. Lucy and Desi were both convinced that they were going to have a boy. Either they never looked at the sonogram or someone got their wires crossed because this little nugget is definitely a girl. Lucy was pretty out of it after the birth. When she got her bearings and asked to see her son, the nurse told her she'd actually had a daughter. To which Lucy said, Susan, I want to see Susan. Susan is the name she and Desi fiddled around with in the early days before they became magically and wrongly convinced that the baby was a boy. But right after she was born, Desi ran to the office and scribbled the new name down on the birth certificate. He named the baby Lucy, spelled with an I-E instead of a Y. He thought it would delight his wife. Lucy loves Lucy, however her name is spelled. And mother is the role she's been waiting to play her whole life. But she won't be able to bask in that role for long. 
because there's another role she has to make room for. And her name is Lucy Ricardo. It's August 15, 1951. Lucy's standing on a massive soundstage, and she's terrified. She's moments away from filming the first episode of I Love Lucy. She clutches the floral apron she's wearing over a silk house dress. It's hiding the bandages that cover her abdomen. Her C-section was only four short weeks ago, and she's still in a lot of pain. But that's not why she's scared. For the first time in her life, she has everything she's ever wanted, personally and professionally, and she doesn't want to mess it up. The studio audience shifts in their seats, watching as Lucy approaches a microphone. She's supposed to greet the crowd and warm them up with a few jokes. But instead, she's silent. She squints out into the audience, looking for her mother in the crowd. Here she is with her own TV show, and all she wants to know is whether her mother's there to see it. And she is. Dee Dee is sitting all the way in the back, just below the control booth. When Lucy sees her hand go up in a little wave, she relaxes. She's ready. Lucy is chasing Desi around the set. She's disguised herself as a vagabond, and he's trying to get away from her. Lucy falls over a couch and onto the floor. She grabs Desi by the collar and throws him around. Finally, she gets him where she wants him and gets the smooch. For the next three minutes, Lucy continues to run around the room. Desi, playing Lucy's husband, Ricky, pulls out his guitar to shield himself from her advances. As he plays, Lucy dances, swinging her arms and staring at Desi like a dog in heat, all while ignoring the aching scar on her stomach. Lucy is a total pro. When you watch her, everything looks spontaneous. Every gag looks improvised. But Lucy's rehearsed every one of these moves hundreds of times and didn't stop until she perfected them all while recovering from major abdominal surgery. Show me someone who says women aren't warriors and I'll show you a fucking mm. liar. Mm-hmm. But she's feeling zero pain by this point. The audience is in an uproar and it's the only thing that has Lucy's attention. Over the course of the next several hours, the studio audience sees something that hasn't existed since Charlie Chaplin, a comedic actor so electric and full of unbridled energy that everything she does looks real, spontaneous, and hilarious. And with that, a new, iconic character is born. Lucy Ricardo. The connection to Chaplin isn't accidental. Lucy reminds audiences of the comedies they loved when they were children. Most of her audience has lived through two world wars and an unprecedented amount of upheaval. She's reminding them what it felt like to be a kid, She's taking them back to a time when their lives felt simpler and less complicated. This is what Lucy has wanted to convey with her performances all her life. What it felt like growing up in upstate New York, laughing her ass off with everyone she cared about. Finally, with Lucy Ricardo, Lucille Ball feels like she's found her home. I Love Lucy is a hit right out of the gate. America falls head over heels for Lucy because they relate to her. Studios used to see her as lacking star power or sex appeal. But to television audiences, 
those things are strengths. Lucy's exactly the kind of person you want to be friends with. People can't get enough of the Ricardos. Each week, more and more people discover them. Three months after the show debuts, 14 million viewers are tuning in. By December, it's up to 16 million. Hmm, they should be getting a second ranch now. <laughs> they should. Lucy is finally working with Desi, and she's a huge success. She feels nearly unstoppable. But then, she gets some news that could bring the whole juggernaut to a grinding halt. It's a beautiful, sunny day at Desi Lou Ranch, a couple months after I Love Lucy's debut. Lucy and Desi are sitting in their bedroom with the blinds pulled and holding hands in the dark room. Desi's face is ash gray. They've just discovered that Lucy is pregnant again. Oh my God, her poor body. That's so I fast. Know. I know. Lucy and Desi know that this means the end of Lucy Ricardo. It's still the 1950s. Everyone knows pregnant women don't appear on TV. A pregnancy on screen would imply that sex happened, and neither the birds or the bees exist on television. On I Love Lucy, the Ricardos even sleep in separate beds. Lucy is devastated. She's happy to be pregnant again, but this show is everything she's ever wanted professionally. It feels deeply unfair that it's going to be taken away because of something that should be happy news. Desi calls the CBS execs to let them know, and they're just as upset as Lucy is. There's no way the show can continue. So the CBS execs call Philip Morris Tobacco, the show's sponsor, to deliver the bad news. But the guys at Philip Morris are like, why is this a problem? <laughs> I can't believe you're making me side with Big Tobacco here. Honestly, same. But they love the show. They love Lucy, and they love the money coming in. So as far as they're concerned, if Lucille Ball's pregnant, then Lucy Ricardo is too. On December 8, 1952, Lucille Ball makes history by announcing she's pregnant on national television. But she does it in the most Lucy Ricardo way possible. Ricky's busy performing with his band when someone hands him a note. Excuse me. Pardon me, please. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Listen to this. Dear Mr. Ricardo, my husband and I are going to have a blessed event. I just found out about it today and I haven't told him yet. He has no idea who the note's from. He thinks it's from some random couple in the crowd. So he starts searching the audience until he finds Lucy. Honey, no. Yes. Really? Yes. Why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't give me a chance. Are you kidding? No. I it's me! <laughs> At this point, they both burst into tears. They're ecstatic, and it's totally real. Lucy and Desi cry through the rest of the scene. It was supposed to be joyous and upbeat, but they go with the tears. And the first take is the one that airs. It's completely unlike anything people have seen on TV before. This show started as a sitcom. All laughs, no tears. But when Lucy and Desi bring their real lives onto the screen, it becomes something way more than that. Lucy's pregnancy creates an emotional bond that Americans have never experienced with a television show before. And by the time Ricky Ricardo races Lucy Ricardo to the hospital to give birth, there are 44 million Americans right there with them. 
They're America's favorite couple, and their lives look picturesque. But unfortunately, behind the scenes, Lucy's life is a long way from perfect. No matter what happens, there is one thing you can always count on me to have, and that's moisturized skin. Hard same. And even in the dead of winter when everything's staticky, still got moisturized skin. Especially in the dead of winter, yeah. And that is thanks to Drunk Elephant's Bora Barrier Repair Cream. It's their buttery, Mm -hmm. ultra-rich repair cream that's clinically proven to provide 24-hour moisture. And let me tell you, it definitely gets the job done. It truly does. I know. Because, like, you put it on and your face is... (laughs) consistently like it's just soft and i hate using the word supple but it's supple yeah and for hours like Mm -hmm. it's not just for like an hour or two it's all day (laughs) i just i love it uh plus the bora barrier repair cream encourages healthy collagen production firms the skin and minimizes the look of fine lines and wrinkles so shop drunk elephant's new bora barrier repair cream online or in store at sephora or at drunkelephant.com that's online or in store at sephora or at drunkelephant.com It's 1953, and Lucille Ball is following an assistant through a maze of cubicles. Her lips are clenched tight, and she's fuming. She hates being in this drab, worn office. People come to her now for interviews, not the other way around. Lucy is the biggest star in America, And she's just signed a television and film contract that makes her one of the richest, too. Everyone in the country knows her name, her face, and her show. Everything she does and every interview she gives sets off a frenzy of publicity. Which is why she's here. But the interview she's walking into now scares the life out of her. Lucy enters a tiny office and closes the door behind her. As she looks around, she spots her interviewer, Congressman Donald L. Jackson. He breaks into a smug, crooked smile as he tells Lucy to sit. This will be just a few routine questions, he tells her. But his eyes flick down to leer at her legs like he's sizing up his next meal. Hang on, did you say congressman or cannibal? Pervert. Got it. His questions are anything but routine. Lucy knows what she's in for the second she sees what color shirt he's wearing. Blue. Okay, you've lost me. What's wrong with blue? (laughs) Well, generally speaking, button-down congressman types wore white shirts in real life. But if they were appearing on TV, they'd switch to blue because on black and white TV sets, it reads as a nice, crisp white. Mm. Which means whatever Congressman Donald L. Jackson wants to talk to Lucy about, he's planning to share it on TV later. And all of that is running through Lucy's head as he asks his simple, routine question. Are you now, or have you ever been, a member of the Communist Party? Oh, lovely. We've reached the McCarthy era. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Red Scare. Lucille Ball is sitting in the office of a prominent member of the House Un-American Activities Committee, a group of powerful politicians who have America convinced communists are hiding behind every potted plant in the country especially in Hollywood. Just take it from this guy. The crusade for freedom is your chance and mine to fight communism. Anti-communist politicians are like hammers looking for a nail. And this time, Lucy's the nail. This isn't even the first time they've reached out to Lucy. 
17 months ago, investigators questioned her about a decades-old Communist Party registration card in her name. She told them the truth. Her grandfather told her to fill it out, but she never voted for a communist candidate or participated in any party activities. Here's a thought. Maybe focus on things that are actually (laughs) important, like, I don't know, mandated maternity leave, so a woman isn't doing physical comedy not even a full month after having a baby cut out of her. That's a really great point you bring up. (laughs) Just a thought. But it's 1953, and careers are ending over gossip and innuendo. All over Los Angeles, people are being blacklisted. Many of them never work again. But 17 months ago, the investigators told Lucy that they believed her and she didn't have to worry. So she gives the same explanation to Congressman Jackson. And he gives her the same response. Nothing to worry about. And he assures her he'll keep the whole thing out of the press. Mm, She should spill ketchup all over him just to cover her bases. Not her favorite soup. (laughs) But Lucy doesn't believe him for a second, and she's terrified. She stays glued to Walter Winchell's Hollywood gossip show on the radio, waiting for the other shoe to drop. She knows the congressman isn't going to keep this to himself. He thinks he's got the top star in Hollywood on his hook, and he's going to reel her in. Sure enough... That Sunday evening, Lucy's listening to the radio when Winchell practically screams out this blind item. A top television comedian has been confronted with her membership in the Communist Party. The phone rings immediately. It's Desi. He tells her not to worry. Everything's going to turn out fine. But Lucy bursts into tears. She knows that even though the committee has supposedly cleared her, the public might not. The success of I Love Lucy was so fast and meteoric that to Lucy, it still feels fragile. As far as she's concerned, everything could still come crashing down in an instant. She's hardwired to look for disaster. And this whole Red Scare business has all the makings of a massive implosion. The Los Angeles Herald-Examiner kicks things off with their headline, Lucille Ball Named Red. And from there, all hell breaks loose. The next morning, Lucy and Desi have to sneak into the studio through a side entrance. The atmosphere on set is tense, and Lucy's head is spinning. Tonight's broadcast might be her last. Neither she nor Desi can get anyone from CBS on the phone. Same thing with Philip Morris. It's total radio silence. Okay, let me get this straight. Philip Morris doesn't care about hiding the fact that their product is literally killing millions of people— but a hint of being distantly connected to communism and they're all of a sudden (laughs) anti-everything? Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Are you running for office by any chance? (laughs) After this episode, I might have to. (laughs) Well, Lucy knows what they're doing, conducting polls to see how the public feels. They're trying to find a way to cover their ass. When Desi emerges on stage to do his warm-up routine for the audience, he realizes he's staring out into a sea of concerned faces. He knows a warm-up isn't happening tonight. So he levels with them the same way he and Lucy always have. There's no audio of this moment because it wasn't recorded, but it's super powerful and very Desi. So here it is word for word. I was kicked out of Cuba because of communism. We despise everything about it. Lucy is as American as Ike Eisenhower. By the way, we both voted for Eisenhower. So ladies and gentlemen, don't judge too soon. Read for yourselves. Read her story. 
don't believe every piece of bunk you read in the papers. The crowd starts cheering. Lucy watches from just off stage as she bursts into tears of relief. Desi waves her out on stage, shouting over the cheers. And now, I want you to meet my favorite wife, my favorite redhead. In fact, that's the only thing read about her. Lucille Ball. The rumors and innuendo kept swirling for a bit, but I Love Lucy stays at number one. And that Christmas, President Eisenhower invites Lucy, Desi, and their kids to the White House. The communist witch hunt that captivated the country starts to fade. The Red Scare ended for a lot of reasons, but it's no coincidence that its last major campaign was against Lucille Ball. She was too popular, too loved, and too sincere for people to fall for the hysterics. And because of all of that, a whole generation of nosy dudes with paisley ties went running for the hills. Only to return every subsequent election with a different outrageous obsession. Forget about that. (laughs) Clearing her name once and for all should be the happily ever after moment in Lucy's story. With the accusations and the audience behind her, she's set up for even more success. But in December of 1954, the press catches wind of Desi's cheating. When Lucy reads the story, she feels like she might vomit. She's learned to live with Desi's absences, disappearances, and flirtations. But the truth about what Desi's been up to is so much worse than anything Lucy could ever have imagined. And to add insult to injury... The headline asks the one question she's never wanted to ask herself. Does Desi really love Lucy? This is episode three of our four-part series, Lucille Ball, Queen of Comedy. We use many sources when researching our stories, including Love Lucy by Lucille Ball, Lucille by Kathleen Brady, Ball of Fire by Stefan Kanfer, and The Real Story of Lucille Ball by Eleanor Harris. A quick note about our scenes. Some scripted dialogue has been added for narrative cohesiveness. And a quick reminder that our brand new Even the Rich merch store is live now. From crop hoodies and crazy comfortable joggers <laughs> to phone cases and champagne flutes, you can find it all at wondershop.com. And be sure to tell your friends. I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Marisha Skidmore-Williams. Allison Reimer wrote this episode. Our audio engineer is Sergio Enriquez. Sound design is by Sam Ada. Our senior producer is Ben Gray. Desi Blaylock is our production coordinator. Our senior managing producer is Tanja Thigpen. Our managing producer is Matt Gant. Kate Young and Rachel Engelman are our series producers. Our executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Jenny Lauer-Beckman, and Marsha Louie for Wondery. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. 
and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.